Good morning, Park Hill. How's everybody doing? Are y'all good, for real, for real? Okay, I'm just checking. <laughs> um, as Drew mentioned, my name is Tanika Wyatt, and along with my, my wonderful husband, Jason, we are marriage and family pastors here at Park Hill, and so it has been a joy for us to um, get to know you all and to grow with you and um, just to be a part of this wonderful family that God has given to San Diego and to the world. So um, I'm going to just lead us in a, a brief moment of prayer before we get right into the word. Um, God, thank you so much for bringing us here today. We thank you for what you have done already. Thank you, God, that your spirit is in this place. God, that your spirit is here to, um, God, to speak to us, to wash over us, to um, move on us, to transform us, to empower us. We thank you, God, for the gift, not only of the spirit, but the gift of one another. And we pray, God, that you would just help us to um, be very present with one another, to love on each other to pray with each other, to encourage, to uplift. And God, I pray that you would open up our hearts as you speak to us. Help us to hear the words that you are saying and to receive them with joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to start off by reading um, Acts chapter one. I don't know if we have any Bibles. Um, if anyone is in need of a Bible, please raise your hand. And if you don't have a Bible, the Bible that you receive can be yours. All right. So we are going to read Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. All right. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to, to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Amen. Uh, praise God for his word. So if you are new today, um, we have been in a series, Receive the Holy Spirit, for the last few months. And so there are many things that God has spoken to us about the Spirit, things that he has um, revealed to us and, and even demonstrated it in our presence. We have seen the Spirit as creator from the very beginning, hovering over the chaos. He has revealed himself as comforter, 
as healer, as advocate, and teacher. And so we've talked about what it looks like to walk after the Spirit, to bear the fruit of the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit and freed by the Spirit, and to have our identity shaped by the Spirit as beloved daughters and sons. And today I want to specifically talk about being empowered by the Spirit. So the book that we just read, um, Acts chapter 1, is written by Luke, a Gentile physician who um, the Apostle Paul referenced in a few of his letters and considered a co-laborer in the gospel. So Luke is also a writer. His name sounds familiar, I'm sure. Luke is also a writer of one of the gospels. And he mentions his first book um, at the top of this text. And he, he mentions it as a text that details the life and teachings of Jesus. And so the book of Acts is written as a continuation of those teachings and actions of Jesus by the Spirit through the church. So Luke talks about, as all the Gospels do, the life and teachings of Jesus. And then Acts um, parallels. It, it continues that life and teaching of Jesus. And it goes on to talk about Jesus as Spirit in the church, working through the apostles and the, the church of God. So that's where we are today. And some may call this book the, the Acts of the Apostles, um, but it is more accurately the Acts of the Spirit. Jesus' disciples who we see following him in the Gospels, in this book, they no longer have him in physical form after the first few verses in Acts. Luke tells us that Jesus remained on the earth for 40 days after his resurrection, and he was teaching and eating with them and drinking with them. And uh, he would show up to prove that he was actually alive. And so Jesus told his disciples many times that he would go away. And before they watched him ascend up into the heavens, he gave them instruction to wait in Jerusalem for the gift of the Spirit, just as we read in Acts chapter 1. Also, in John 14, verse 26, Jesus said, But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is, the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. So here Jesus tells them, I'm going away to the Father, but I will not leave you comfortless. I will not leave you alone to fend for yourselves without any help or without a teacher, but my representative is coming. So the Father is going to send you his spirit to advocate for you. And he will teach you all the things that I have shared, remind you of everything you saw, everything you experienced with me. And so earlier in that chapter, John 14, verses 17 through 18, Jesus says, he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and will later be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. 
So the book of Acts is a continuation of the story of Jesus and his people. And it goes on to talk about the birth of the church. This exchange now from being from the spirit with us to now being with uh, in us, as Jesus mentioned in John 14. The very presence of Jesus, not just walking alongside his disciples from town to town and doing miracles and teaching and preaching in the synagogues and on the street corner, in a small region of the world, in a perishable human body. But the Spirit of God now undomesticated and unbridled inhabiting people of every language, every tribe, on every continent. Jesus had fulfilled his purpose in the earth through his death on the cross, and he lived in such a way that he changed time. God stepped into time, dividing the human calendar from old and new, and the world has not been the same since. Jesus radically changed our world. And so he was the fulfillment of so many promises that the Hebrew, um, that the Hebrew people received. And not only them, but the first two people on the earth. Before there was an Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, God spoke to Adam and Eve, the mother and father of humankind, and he promised them a savior. And so Jesus was the promise fulfilled, and he was God wrapped in flesh, and he changed everything. Then he says, I'm not going to be here long. I'm leaving this earth, but I'm sending you someone even better. As Drew mentioned earlier, a helper. How? How in the world could there be anything, anyone better than Jesus? David mentioned last week in the announcements, he mentioned a text, John chapter 14, verse 12. And he said, this is one of the craziest scriptures um, ever. And I, I kind of understand what he's talking about. John 14, 12 says, I tell you the truth. Now, this is Jesus talking. I tell you the truth that anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to the Father. What? How is it possible? Um, how do we do what Jesus did, let alone exceed the works of Jesus? How do we flawed, sinful, finite humans do more than what Jesus did on the earth. On my best days, when I'm feeling extra saved and righteous, <laughs> even on my best days, I feel like I can't do half of what Jesus did. You know, and I know it's hard to believe, but by God's spirit, he is accomplishing greater works in the earth. Is that even possible? But yes, he is. And I'm looking at all of you and I see God working, doing greater works. The church that is led by pastors and elders, equipped with teachers, evangelists, and prophets, according to Ephesians 4, that church, us, we are empowered by God's spirit. Each one of us now has him living on the inside of us. And so the question is, why? For what reason do we have 
this spirit of Jesus in us. And what do greater works even look like? Let's go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said that the Spirit would empower his followers to be witnesses. And then we see in chapter 2, he empowers them to be witnesses in a way that had never happened before. Not only did they have a boldness to testify of Jesus Christ, um, but the Spirit empowered them to speak in languages that they did not know. And I know we, we read these texts and sometimes it's lost on us. Like, you know, it's just like, oh, it's ancient text, Greek, Hebrew. You know, it's, it's like reading Chinese unless you know Chinese. Uh, but for somebody like me, it's like, what is this? It's so far away. But imagine today being on a plane, sitting next to, I don't know, let's say a middle-aged Iraqi man bearded with a turban and he seems so culturally dis, uh, different from you. And so you're sitting there and while you're planning to go to sleep, God says, no, I want you to speak to him. I want you to tell him about me. And you're like, okay, okay, I can do that. And then you realize somehow that he doesn't speak English. He actually speaks Farsi. And you're like, but I don't know Farsi. So, in fact, I've never even heard Farsi. I can't even fake Farsi. <laughs> and so you're like, I don't know where to start. But the spirit rises up in you. And you open up your mouth to speak. And you just say what God puts on your heart. And somehow this man seated next to you understands every word and Jesus meets him on the plane and, and he receives um, the words that you say as an answer to the prayers he has prayed his whole life. Can you imagine? That would be miraculous, right? That's what God did. That's what God did on the day of Pentecost. There were these Jews who were gathering in Jerusalem just because that was their custom, that was their religion, um, but they had come from all over the world. They had different cultures, different other customs, and different languages. And so when Jesus said, go and be my witnesses, he didn't send his people out to just figure it out. He didn't say, you know, go do what you do and, and you'll be okay. No, he actually empowered them to do it. The Spirit orchestrated the time and the place, and he empowered them to actually do what he said to do. So what is the purpose of the Spirit in our lives today? Why must we be filled with the Spirit? It's no different than what Jesus said to his followers in Acts chapter 1. We will be the witnesses of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. That's one specific reason we are empowered by the Spirit. It was not enough that Jesus enter our world, show us how to live, be executed, and then rise from the dead only to return to the heavens. 
No, his life on earth would be the beginning of a new kingdom, a new family of God where there wouldn't just be this inner circle of believers following him or one nation that Jesus belongs to, but now every human on the earth would now have access to God by the Spirit. We would be able to know God intimately and be known of him. As Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. That resurrecting power of Jesus Christ, the spirit of God, is what we have living on the inside. And so now we know Jesus Christ through scripture, through the spirit living in us, and in the way that we experience one another in this new family, and we are all his witnesses. What we say, how we live, how we raise our kids, how we spend our money, how we entertain ourselves, our sexual ethic, our work ethic, All of those things as spirit-filled followers of Jesus Christ bear witness of him. All 2.3 billion of us, and that's how we do greater works. In our daily submission to what the spirit says and how the spirit leads us. There's a wonderful book by Lee Strobel and it's called The Case for Christ. It talks about how Jesus changed the world, not just in 33 years walking the earth, but through men and women who named the name of Jesus Christ for millennia after him. Now, I'm very aware that uh, we could easily get sidetracked here by all the horrible things that have happened around the world um, and even here in the United States by religious people. But even Jesus... This is not foreign to him. Um, He was crucified by the religious people of his day. And the evil in this world cannot undermine the beauty of what the true followers of Jesus Christ have done when empowered by the spirit of God to free captives, care for orphans and widows, and to do justice and simply to love our neighbor. How many know it takes the spirit of God just to love difficult people? We need to be empowered by the spirit. But the problem is so many of us are living our lives powerless. Paul writes to Timothy in uh, 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 through 5. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. Does that sound familiar to anybody in the room? They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, 
and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. We have no power over sin because we act religious. We do all the things that make us look on the outskirt like we're right and upright and righteous, but we reject the power that could truly make us like Jesus. We say we love Jesus, yet we disregard his commands because they seem unrealistic or outdated or too hard. We have believed the lie that this is just who I am. This is just how things are going to be for me. I can't change my temper. I've always been like this. I can't love those people. Are you kidding me? That person? That's impossible. You don't know what they've done to me. I can't forgive. Well, why can't I have sex with whoever I want to? We're consenting adults. I'm not hurting anybody. So what if I drink and get drunk Every now and then, I'm just having fun. I'm, I'm being responsible. I would never drive while I'm drinking. We've, we've, many of us, we don't exercise power over sin. We do just like the scripture says. We act religious, but we deny the power of God that would actually make us like Jesus. We've grown accustomed to sin instead. We have surrendered to it. We have succumbed to it. We disregard the scripture that says our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are bought with a high price. We don't really believe the scripture in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, that says we have victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to read to you Eugene Peterson's message Bible um, interpretation. Um, it is Romans 8, verse 11, and it reads this way. But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about. But for you who welcome him in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does, as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ. Do we believe the scriptures, what they say about us? Your body will be as alive as Christ. What did Christ's life look like? Is he even our goal anymore? 
We often compare ourselves to others. Notice I keep, I keep saying we, because I'm not exempt from this teaching either. We compare ourselves to others so that we feel good about ourselves. At least I'm not, at least I'm not doing that. I would never do fill in the blank. But God has not called us to a life that's just better than the next person. He's calling us to be fully surrendered to him and allow the spirit to animate our lives and make us brand new. That is the promise of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite scriptures is Hebrews 12, where the writer talks about laying aside every sin and weight. Not just those obvious things that we know to be sin, but the weight we carry. Lay aside every sin and the weight that slows us down. And we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. He is who we look to. And so Jesus says again in Matthew 5, verse 20, but I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Yet again, that seems pretty difficult. I think they kept everything to the letter, right? They, they did everything right. But here's why we look to Jesus and we trust him to perfect and to complete our faith and understand that God is not calling us to perfection. Oftentimes where we see perfection in the scriptures, it is typically maturity in Christ. And so Jesus said this about the righteousness of those religious folks and the Pharisees because their righteousness was outward. It was about what they could do. It was religious in nature. It was about what you do on your own strength. How good am I? But that's not how we live our lives. We don't live our lives apart from the spirit trying to figure out how do we live this life? How do we obey Jesus? How do we follow after him? It's not yours to do alone. It was keeping all the laws and not allowing God to enter their hearts and truly transform them. That was the problem of the Pharisees. But God does not just call us out of sin and darkness and shame, then leave us to figure out the rest. He empowers us by the spirit to live a life free from sin, living in the light where there is no shame. Second Peter verses, uh, chapter one, verse three says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. God offers up himself and says, come and get to know me. Let's have fellowship. I love the picture of Jesus in Revelation 19, sorry, Revelation 3, verse 20, where he's knocking and he says, if you hear my voice and open up the door, I will come in and dine with you. Let's share a meal as friends. God himself empowers us by his spirit. 
He equips us and gives us everything we need to live a godly life. Amen? Let's just give God a hand praise right now. Let's wake ourselves up and praise God for the spirit of God that is living inside of us to do the work that he's called us to do. And so I know you might say, well, I don't get drunk. I don't sleep around. I don't gossip. I don't abuse my family. I pay my taxes. I'm a good citizen. Well, we're not here to check boxes. The question is, are you filled up with the spirit and living a life that is empowered by him? Where in your life do you lack God's power? Where is God calling you to do something you feel you cannot do in your own strength? Are you empowered to obey him when he says, I have work for you to do? Empowered to take risk? To get out of the proverbial boat of safety and security and predictability and walk on waters to meet Jesus where he is and watch him do the miraculous. You know, I've heard before in, in old churches, if you can't say amen, just say ouch. If it's hitting you a little bit and it don't, don't feel quite right, just say ouch. <laughs> and let the spirit do what he does. Speaking of Peter, Peter was that one who walked out uh, on the water and walked with Jesus. He was with Jesus for three years. He walked closely with him. He loved Jesus, but still he had his doubts. His behaviors didn't always line up to what Jesus was teaching him and trying to get his disciples to get. He disobeyed and he downright denied Jesus. At one point, it appeared that Peter even abandoned his faith. But God was patient with Peter as he is with us. God was kind to Peter as he is with us. And on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, God empowered Peter by his spirit to lead the way to this explosive birth of the church. Now imagine what God wants to do with you by his spirit. Imagine what a life submitted to him, even amidst the doubt, even amidst the disobedience, even amidst the denial of who God is, even amidst all of those things. God, through his kindness, through his love, through his spirit, he brings us to a place of power where his, his spirit is manifested and all of the promises that we've received, God actually brings them to fruition and we get to see them play out in our lives and in the lives of our family and our friends by his spirit. And so God is not just concerned about you having power over sin and power to resist temptation, although we need all of that. The spirit also gives power to live abundant life, power over sickness, power over spiritual bondage and wickedness, power to walk by faith and not by what we see, power to work the dream that God has given you, power to do what Jesus did and power to do greater works. And so maybe you're not even sure if you have the Holy Spirit. You're like, you're talking a lot up there about all this empowerment, and I don't really see that in my life. 
Maybe you're looking at your life and you're taking an honest assessment and you're like, mm, I don't see the fruit. I'm not sure if I actually have the spirit. Well, let me tell you, you are in the right place. You are in the right place. Luke chapter 11, verse 13 says, So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? All we have to do is ask him. If we lack power, all we have to do is ask him. If we don't see the fruit, all we have to do is ask him. Whether you follow Jesus or not, today you're in the right place. Whether this is your first time ever in a church and this is all strange to you, or if you were born in, in the church and you've been here your whole life, this is all you know. Either way, God wants to empower you today. And there may be some here who say, well, I've tried. I've tried to live a good life. I've tried to love difficult people. I've tried to obey Jesus' commands. I've tried to resist temptations. I've tried to do all of the Jesus stuff, and it just has not worked for me. We want to pray with you. We want to pray that you experience the power of the resurrection in your life by God's spirit. Jesus told his disciples as he speaks to us today, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you forsaken. I will not leave you abandoned. I will not leave you powerless. I will come to you. And Jesus is here right now equipping us and empowering us to do the work that he's called us to do. The truth is, we can't do any of this. On our own, we fail miserably. I can't love my husband well and be a faithful wife without God's spirit. Without the spirit at work in my life, I would be bitter and angry, judgmental, self-righteous, and mean. Does anybody know what your, do you recall what your life looked like before the spirit? I know this because there are still days that those things creep up and I have to deny my flesh. I have to remind myself I am a new creature and that is the old me. And I invite the spirit in to do his work in my life. And this happens over and over again and again, filling, being filled with God's spirit regularly until I am more like him than what I used to be, until my desires align with his than what they used to be, until my will starts to coincide with his, until I am surrendered and I'm saying, God, whatever you want to do, have your way with me. Wherever you want to take me, my answer is yes. Whatever you want to do with me, God, my answer is yes. I surrender all to you. And in that yes, in that surrendering, we are empowered by the Spirit. This is a walk of faith. Trusting God to do what you know you cannot do in your own flesh. 
I want to wrap this teaching up with some words from Paul David Tripp. God will call you to do what you cannot do, but will provide everything you need to do it. God will call you to do what you cannot do, but will provide everything you need to do it. Moses didn't have what it takes to free the Israelites from their slavery in Egypt, but the Lord empowered him to lead them to the promised land. David had no personal power to overcome Goliath, but the Lord gave him courage and strength in the valley of Elah. The apostles had no ability to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the known world, but the Lord gifted them and provided for them so that they could do so. You and I have no natural abilities to rise and do what God calls us to do, but he refuses to leave us to our own resources. He is not so unwise, unkind, or unfaithful as to ever call us to a task without enabling us to do it. Our God who has equipped his people for ages who has done many things by his people through the spirit of God. For ages, he is the same God working in us today. I know some of these things in the message, some of these um, things are, are tough to receive, maybe difficult to hear. But I hope this message encourages you. It is a message of hope to know that you are not in this fight alone. God gives you everything you need by the power of his spirit. So in a moment, we are going to pray for you. We're going to invite you to come up to the sides of the room um, just to share um, or to, to pray with you so that we can share with you and just pray that God speaks to you. And you get to experience his power. You get to experience his power. I want to read one more scripture. And um, I'm actually going to sing this. We're going to sing it together. It's Revelation 19.1. It says, praise the Lord. Actually, it says, after this, I heard what sounded like a vast crowd in heaven shouting. Praise the Lord. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. When you grow faint and weary, understand that salvation and glory and power belong to our God. It is not something that you contrive on your own. It's not something that you have to figure out and do alone. But salvation and glory and power belong to our God.